Good morning and welcome to Simply Politics. It's Saturday, March 2nd. On today's show, we delve into how the no-go zone myth spread from fringes to mainstream UK politics, and a professor criticizes Tuberville's statement about immigrants and their knowledge of God. Plus, we have a profile on Fulton D.A. Fannie Willis. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Politics. We start off with a controversial statement made earlier this week by a former government minister who claimed that certain areas of London and Birmingham with large Muslim populations are no-go areas, a statement that has reignited the enduring myth that there are UK neighborhoods and towns unsafe for white people. The MP for Sutton and Cheam, Paul Scully, later retracted his suggestion, but defended his comments on the grounds that people told him they perceived there to be a threat. To delve deeper into this, we have Celeste from Simply Politics. Can you tell us more about this no-go area myth and its origins? Certainly, David. The notion of Muslim-controlled no-go areas has been promoted by right-wing politicians and commentators in the U.S., the U.K., and Europe since the early 2000s. Initially, it was linked to clink to claims about Islam posing an existential threat to white Western civilization following Islamist terrorist attacks. Later, it was cited in fears about community cohesion, racial and religious segregation, and wider debates about immigration. And how has this myth evolved over time? Over the past two decades, the no-go zone myth, often associated with fears that these places were governed by Sharia law, has gradually spread from niche extreme and populist right-wing spaces into mainstream conservative politics. A survey published by Hope Not Hate found that 52% of Tory party members believed parts of European cities were under Sharia law and were no-go areas for non-Muslims. While Sharia councils do operate in the UK, they predominantly deal with Islamic divorces, arbitration, and mediation, and their rulings have no legal standing. What about the use of this term in mainstream media? The term no-go zone was first applied to Muslim areas in a mainstream context in a 2002 New York Times article by David Ignatius. He claimed that areas of Paris became no-go zones at night. The term gained prominence in the UK when the Rev. Michael Nazir Ali warned of no-go areas where Islamic extremism had become acceptable. The conspiracy theory was further propagated in 2015 when Fox News pundit Stephen Emerson claimed Birmingham had become a totally Muslim city. What impact has this had on the public's perception of these areas? The no-go zone narrative has been used to justify rallies in places with large Muslim communities, such as Tower Hamlets in East London. It has provided a language for people with anti-Muslim prejudice to articulate their beliefs, allowing these marginal narratives to permeate society. How does this contemporary usage of the term compare to its historical usage? Historically, the term no-go zone referred to conflict zones or areas dominated by organized crime groups. Its contemporary usage to foment fears about Islam draws on these historical precedents by invoking security concerns to mask racist caricatures about immigrant communities. What are the implications of this myth on the communities being labeled as no-go zones. The propagation of the no-go areas conspiracy theory can be compared to the moral panic stirred up around mugging by the UK press and politicians in the 1970s. 
These kinds of moral panics are often generated at times of political and economic crisis, creating a disconnect between reported incidents of violence and the hysteria generated. From the enduring myth of no-go areas in the UK, as reported by our Simply Politics correspondent Celeste, we now turn our attention to a recent statement made by Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. During a conference call hosted by Bishop E.W. Jackson's National Awakening, Tuberville claimed that immigrants know nothing about God. This comment has sparked criticism, particularly from Leah Wright Rigler, an associate professor of history at Johns Hopkins University. Here to discuss this further is James, a correspondent for Simply Politics. Can you provide some context to this statement made by Senator Tuberville? Certainly, David. Senator Tuberville's remarks were made during a conference call and they have been met with significant backlash. His assertion that immigrants know nothing about God is a sweeping generalization that many have found offensive and inaccurate. It's important to note that immigrants come from a diverse range of religious backgrounds and many hold deep spiritual beliefs. And what has been the response from Leah Wright Rigur, the Associate Professor of History at Johns Hopkins University? Professor Rigur has criticized Tuberville's statement joining a chorus of voices expressing disapproval. While we don't have the specifics of her critique, it's clear that such a broad and dismissive statement about immigrants has not been well received in many quarters. What implications could this have for Senator Tuberville and the Republican Party? Statements like these can have significant political implications. They can alienate certain voter demographics and contribute to a negative perception of the party. It's yet to be seen how this will impact Senator Tuberville's standing within his party and among his constituents. Thanks for the insights, James. Now, shifting our focus from technology to politics, let's discuss Argentina's libertarian president, Javier Millet, who has vowed to continue pushing his radical economic liberalization agenda with or without the support of parliament. In a recent address, he outlined his commitment to a package of sweeping economic reforms aimed at revitalizing the country's economy. Abby, our correspondent for Simply Politics, is here to discuss this further. Can you give us an overview of Millet's economic agenda? Certainly, David. Millet has been quite clear about his intentions to overhaul Argentina's economy. Since taking office, he has devalued the peso by more than 50%, cut state subsidies for fuel and transport, have the number of ministries, and scrapped hundreds of regulations. His government has claimed credit for signs of economic revival, including Argentina's first monthly budget surplus in 12 years and growing foreign currency reserves. But it seems Mele's austerity measures have not been without controversy. Indeed, David. While his government points to signs of economic recovery, the reality for many Argentinians is quite different. High inflation and austerity measures have led to strikes and protests. Despite this, Mele remains committed to his economic reforms, even warning Argentinians to prepare for a shock adjustment to fix the economy. What about Mele's relationship with the parliament? How is that shaping up? Mele's relationship with the parliament has been contentious. Last month, lawmakers rejected his omnibus reform bill, despite tough negotiations that reduced the proposed changes by nearly half. In response, Mealy has stated that he will keep pushing forward with his economic reforms with or without the support of political leaders. And what about his proposed social pact? 
Miele has called for a 10-point social pact that would overhaul the framework for distributing tax funds between the federal government and provinces. This seems to be a more conciliatory approach, but it remains to be seen how it will be received. Given Argentina's history of economic crises, how significant are Malay's proposed reforms? Argentina has indeed been grappling with economic crises for decades, marked by enormous debt, widespread poverty, and triple-digit inflation. Millet's proposed reforms are radical and represent a significant departure from previous economic policies. However, it's still too early to determine whether these measures will succeed in revitalizing Argentina's economy. Thanks for those insights, Abby. And with that, we conclude our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Politics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.